Okay, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, so uh, we last week started this series called Boundaries, Understanding God's Best in Relationships. So over the next six, seven weeks, we're talking all things relationships, singleness, dating, marriage, sexuality, uh, friendships, um, you know, sex. Did I mention sex? Yeah. So we're talking uh, all about relationships and how to uh, biblically navigate these kinds of things, uh, as young adults especially. And so when talking about singleness, dating, marriage, it can be an overwhelming topic. There's so much ground to cover. And I realize that there are so many different people with different unique experiences and different backgrounds. And so I pray that through this series, the Lord would minister to your individual experience. But tonight, we're going to be focusing on singleness. We're going to be focusing on singleness and the boundaries to adhere to when looking to be in a relationship. Now, when I say the word singleness, if you are here and you're dating or you're engaged or you're married, don't check out because as we talk about every season of life, I'm going to sprinkle in some biblical wisdom for everybody. And so it's important that we stay engaged and that we open up our hearts to hear from the Lord concerning uh, this issue of relationships. But again, tonight we're just going to be focusing on singleness and we're going to do our best to answer uh, these two questions. I hope you're there. This is our text, 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to do our best to answer these two questions. What does the Bible say about singleness? What does the Bible have to... That, that's, this is honestly... This should be the very first question that we ask when approaching any topic. You could erase that word singleness off of the screen and put in anything. What does the Bible say about love? What does the Bible say about abortion? What does the Bible say about homosexuality? What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about my identity? This should, this should be the first question we always ask ourselves when faced with a topic or maybe a societal or political issue. What does the Bible have to say about this? Because this is the foundation. This is our anchor. This is uh, hope and life. And so this should be our foundation. For tonight, we're going to ask that question, what does the Bible have to say about singleness? And then number two, what are some wise boundaries? Because that's our, 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 our series, boundaries. What are some wise boundaries for me to adhere to when looking for a spouse? So I hope you guys are excited for tonight. You excited? Oh my goodness. You guys excited? Okay, let, let's just like be awkward right from the get-go. Where are my singles tonight? Singles, okay, keep your hands up. Don't be, embar- don't be embarrassed. Keep them up. Raise them high. All right, now, everybody, look around. Okay, look around. I'm, I'm, help- I'm helping you out. I'm helping you out here. You've seen that guy. You've seen that girl. I wonder, are they in a relationship? Now you, kn- now you know. Okay, now, some of you, you have your hand up and down, and you're like, you know, it's complicated. It's complicated. I'm, I'm a little confused. I don't know. And then maybe you went out with a guy the other day, and your hand is up, and he's like, well, I guess that didn't, date didn't go so well. You're single. You're single. Okay, I thought, I thought this had some traction. Okay. So we're going to talk all things singleness and the boundaries to adhere to when looking for a spouse. So let's pray. Let's get our hearts right before the Lord, and then we'll dive into our Bible study. Lord, we just commit our time to you. Do with it what you will, Lord. We love you. We love your word. And your word is our moral compass, Lord. So we dive into your word, and we ask now that you would teach us 
through the pages of your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Soften our hearts to hear from you and to receive from you tonight. Uh, it's not me. Forget about me, Lord. I pray that you just use me as your vessel to communicate your truth to your people tonight. We love you. This is your word. These are your people. We're your people, Lord. And so I pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, convict us, challenge us, Lord, as we read your word. You know what each individual need is, so I pray that you would minister to them now. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So I'm going to draw from the words of someone who was single for, very, for a very long time, uh, even though he was probably married at some point in his life, and his name is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, and our text again is from chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Now, Paul is the perfect person to draw from because most likely Paul was both married and single, and so he can speak from personal experiences on both ends. Now, why do we believe that he was married at one point? Well, the Bible says in Acts chapter 26 that Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was a Jewish ruling council, and a requirement to be a part of this Jewish ruling council was that you had to be married. So if Paul was a part of the Jewish ruling council at one point, most likely Paul was married because that was a requirement to be a part of that club. Now, what happened to Paul's wife? We don't know. We can only speculate. A lot of Bible scholars believe uh, that Paul, uh, his wife, left him. Because you see, when Paul became a Christian, when Paul became a believer in Jesus Christ, um, that was a, a, a death sentence in some cases, persecution, absolutely. And so in the Jewish community, believing that Jesus was the Messiah, this was absolutely frowned upon. Maybe his wife left him, perhaps, because of his conversion to Christianity. Some believe Paul's wife possibly died. We don't know. We can only speculate. But at the point he writes 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we know that he's single at this point. And so let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's read the first nine verses together. He writes, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. The ESV, the NIV, translate, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Verse 2, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Verse 5. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men, or all people, all women, for I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Pause there with me. Now, 
notice how Paul begins this passage in verse 1. He says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. So this implies that the Corinthian church wrote a letter to Paul, and within that letter, they had some questions. Now, he's then replying to the questions that they had, and what they wrote to him had to do with singleness and marriage and sexuality, because those are the topics he touches on. Now, why would they ask about these things? It's super important for us to know the context of this church whom he is writing to. He is writing to the church at Corinth. Now, it helps us to understand the context by knowing a little bit about this city, Corinth. It was the third most important city in the Roman Empire, located in southern Greece. It was a center of philosophy, but it was also a center of sexual immorality, sexual worship practices, pagan practices centered around sex and prostitution. In the city of Corinth, there was a temple where history tells us that there were a thousand temple prostitutes engaging in sexual activity as a form of worship to the goddess, false goddess obviously, Aphrodite, the goddess of love and fertility. And so many of the Corinthian church, you have to you know, put your mind in that time period, within that city and location. If you were a person living in the city of Corinth and you get saved, and now you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you better believe you have questions regarding the paganism of your past. So they're asking questions to Paul, such as, Paul, now that we're, a, now that we're believers in Jesus, living in such a pagan, sexually active society, how should we view sex as single and married people? Should we just abstain from sex altogether? Sex is wrong, sex is bad. Um, even though we're married, is sex wrong in my singleness? How should I now perceive sex and sexual activity? And so Paul responds using biblical wisdom inspired by the Holy Spirit. So here, notice a few things that Paul says to them. Verse 1, basically, I'm going to kind of summarize some of Paul, Paul's points from verses 1 to 9. Verse 1, he basically says, sure, it's fine to abstain from sexual relations. That's okay. But then he addresses the married people in verses 2 through 5. He says, but listen, if you're married, you should absolutely stay sexually active. That's a good thing. Be sexually active with your spouse. He says, don't deprive one another. Now, if you have to deprive one another for a season, that's okay, but only for prayer and fasting. And then he says, if you deprive one another, it has to be mutually agreed upon, but may it not be a long season, come back together, because Satan will interrupt that period of separation, and he might tempt you to seek sexual, act, uh, sexual satisfaction outside of your marriage. And that's wrong, that's a sin. So, if you're married, yes, absolutely, be sexually active with your spouse, enjoy sex, sex is God-given, within the confines of marriage, the Bible says. So, if you're married, sex is great, sex is to be enjoyed, don't deprive one another. If you do, may it be mutually agreed upon, come back together though, so that Satan can't get a foothold in your marriage. Then he addresses the singles in verse 9. He says, but if you're single, okay, so this is our topic for tonight. But if you are single, 
meaning you're, you're not married. So when I use that term single, I apply it to everyone who's outside of marriage broadly. If you're single and you can't exercise self-control, then get married. That's great. Get married. That's fine. So that you can experience sexual activity within the biblical parameters of marriage. Because again, sex outside of marriage, that's a sin. At a later time in this series, we're going to have a full teaching dedicated to sex and the boundaries of sexual activity. Okay, not for tonight. But Paul addresses that briefly in these verses. If you are single and you can't exercise self-control, it is then better to get married so that, he says, you don't burn with passion. This is what the Bible says. Now, he adds then in verses 7 to 8, this is very interesting. He then basically says in verses 7 to 8, he says, listen, if I had it my way, I would encourage you just to stay single. If you're single, you should just stay single. Now, why does Paul say that? All the singles in the room are like, no, Paul, please. No, but Paul says, listen, if I had it my way, I would just say, just stay single. Just remain in your singleness. This is what he says in verses 7 to 8. He says, I wish that all men were as I am. Single. He says, I wish that all men were as I am. But each man has his own gift from God. That's key. Each man has his own gift from God. One has this this gift. Another has that gift. Now to the unmarried. Who's unmarried? Okay, raise your hand. Okay, okay. Put them down, put them down, put them down. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. So a few uh, answers to this question. What does the Bible say about singleness? Number one, Paul says that singleness is a gift. That's the word he uses. Now, for many of the singles in the room, you're like, I, don't, I reject this gift. I don't want this gift. Where is the gift receipt? I want to return this gift of singleness for the married gift. I don't want this gift. But this is what the Bible says. Paul refers to his singlehood as a gift. Again, he says, I wish all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. So he says that singleness is a gift. Paul says the proper perspective you need to have about your singlehood is that it is a gift from God. Now, I want to dispel relationship myths throughout this series. Myth number one is that marriage is the goal of the Christian life. That is a myth. That is a myth. That's a relationship myth. That marriage is the goal of the Christian life. Marriage is not the goal of the Christian life. Can I encourage you? Marriage is not the pinnacle of the Christian life. If you are married and a believer, marriage does not mean that your walk with the Lord has reached the pinnacle of success. There is not a hierarchy of goals. A successful Christian life doesn't mean that all of you need to end up married. The goal of the Christian life isn't marriage. Yes, now marriage is to be honored. Marriage was created and given by God. Marriage is to be revered and respected. Marriage is God's design for procreation and sexual experiences between a man and a woman. But it is not the goal of the Christian life. Now, this should be encouraging to us who are single. 
Now, yes, this is how it naturally progresses, that you are single, and then you date, and then you get engaged, and then you are married. That's how it progresses in our Western culture. All right, you're single, and then you date because you're attracted to someone, and then you get engaged, and then you get married. But listen, it does not mean that one stage is better than the other. It doesn't mean that singleness, dating, marriage, or singleness, dating, engagement, and marriage is bad, good, better, best. Everybody understand this? Because sometimes that's how we perceive singleness and marriage in the church, right? That singleness, bad, dating, better, engagement, good, marriage, best. And we we see this process or this progression as a hierarchy of goals to attain in the Christian life. It is not bad, good, better, best. Because Paul refers to singleness as a gift. I don't want anyone to feel as though marriage is the ultimate goal or the pinnacle of a successful Christian life. Marriage is not the goal. Holiness is the goal. Purity before the Lord. In whatever season of life you find yourself in, that is the goal. Obedience to the Lord, serving the Lord, serving the Lord in whatever season of life you currently find yourself in, that is the goal of the Christian life. Lord, I don't know, whatever season of life I'm in, I don't know if I'm ever going to be married. I don't know how long I'm going to remain single. But Lord, I will choose to serve you in whatever season I currently find myself in. Because obedience, purity, holiness living rightly before the Lord, serving the Lord. These are the goals of the Christian life. I want you to notice what Paul says. Look at verse 32 and 35, still in chapter 7. Verses 32 and 35, this will help us understand that singleness truly is a gift. Verse 32 says, But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit. This is for your benefit, he says, verse 35. Not that I may put a leash on you. He's like, I'm not trying to restrict you. Or, or put a, you know, be a party pooper. He says, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. So what Paul is saying is to the unmarried, listen, Paul's just being real with us. He says, to the unmarried, listen, I want to save you a life of hardship. And I say this as a married man, and my wife would say the very same thing if she were up here. Marriage is a beautiful thing. Marriage is a wonderful thing. Marriage is amazing. It is so much fun. It is, you have a built-in life partner to help push you closer to the Lord and to challenge you and to enjoy life with and to have so many adventures. Marriage is a beautiful thing. But listen, marriage is hard work. It is hard work. Marriage is hard work. And what Paul writes to the unmarried in verses 32 through 35, he says, listen, if you are unmarried, your concern is to please the Lord. If you are married as a husband, your concern is to please the Lord, but also to meet the needs of your wife. 
and to please your wife. If you are married and you are a woman, yes, of course, your goal is to please the Lord, but you also are striving to meet the needs of your husband and to please your husband. So he therefore says, if you are single, it is a gift because I'm saving you from from a life of very hard work. And therefore, you can focus more on the goal of the Christian life, which is to serve the Lord without distraction. So he is trying to reshape the perspective of his single audience by saying, listen, yes, marriage is awesome. And sexual experience and activity is reserved for the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. That is awesome and that is great. But that's not the goal of the Christian life. If you can't exercise self-control, sure, get married. But if you are single, realize that that is a gift from the Lord because the Lord is saving you from a lot of hardship because marriage is hard work. So if you are single, your perspective should be, Lord, in my singleness, I am going to focus my entire life, I'm going to devote my singleness solely to serving and pleasing the Lord. And that is an awesome calling, which leads us then to gift number two, that singleness, or uh, answer number two, that singleness is in fact a calling. Singleness should not be viewed as a curse or an indication that there's something wrong with the single man or woman. While many people marry, a single Christian is in no sense a second class Christian. You have to understand this. 1 Corinthians indicates that singleness is a blessing, it is a gift, and then number two, he says that it is a calling. Now, a lot of us, especially in our demographic, single adults, young professionals, college students, those early in our careers, we are always concerned about our calling. Lord, what are you calling me to? What career are you calling me to? What ministry are you calling me to? And we never, we never really think of singleness... Our our lack of a relationship status as a calling. But this is how, again, the Bible describes your singleness. He says in verses 17 to 24 that it is a calling, and he uses that word calling nine times in verses 17 to 24. And I'm not going to read verses 17 to 24 for us for the sake of time, but he nonetheless says that if you are single, that is a calling. It's a call. Have you ever thought of that? Your singleness is a divine calling from the Lord? You should. Now, our callings change. And some of, us, some, uh, some of us who are single in this room, you desire that God would call you out of that calling of singleness. And that's okay. That's okay. The Lord knows that you desire to be married. That is okay. And Go to the Lord with the desires of your heart because our God is a good father. He desires to bless his children. He knows every single one of your needs. If you desire to be married, go to the Lord with that desire. But in the meantime, realize that that current state of your singleness, that's a calling from the Lord in and of itself. And you don't have to wait to get out of singleness to then be used and called by the Lord. And this is what Paul says. And he uses two examples to illustrate his point. Again, in verses 17 to 24, he uses two examples to illustrate the point that you don't have to, be, you don't have to wait to be married to be used by God. And he uses the two illustrations of circumcision and slavery. 
Now that is very interesting. He uses the examples of circumcision and slavery. Why? Because those were very relatable issues and topics of that day. First, he says circumcision. Listen, circumcision was a big deal in Jewish custom. A Jew had to have been circumcised on the eighth day after they were born to enter into the Jewish family. Okay, the Old Testament speaks of circumcision, showing an exterior way that you could show that you had been set apart by God. You were part of God's family. Now, when you get to the New Testament, Paul says, circumcision doesn't matter. We need to be circumcised and changed uh, of the heart. You need to have a heart transformation and come to faith in Jesus Christ. So again, he uses the example of circumcision. And this is basically what he says in a nutshell. He says, were you saved and called by God when you were circumcised or uncircumcised? It doesn't matter. Some thought, the Lord's not going to use me until I become circumcised. Paul says, stop thinking like that. Circumcised, uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. God can still use you. So just remain in that state whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. And then he speaks to slavery. Why slavery? Paul in the Bible is not condoning slavery. He's simply speaking to the reality of the day. Roughly 30 to 40% of the Roman population were slaves. Either you were an indentured servant or you were a prisoner of war. 30 to 40% of Rome's population, slaves. Now, this is what Paul says. Did you get saved as a slave or as a freed person? It doesn't matter. God is still calling you and wants to use you now. Don't think, oh boy, I'm a slave. The Lord can't use me in this current season. I have to wait to get my freedom. Then the Lord can use me. Paul says, no. Did the Lord save you in your slavery or in your freedom? It doesn't matter. God can still use you. Now, he goes on to say, if you can get your freedom, great, get your freedom. But don't wait to get your freedom to be used by God. Let God use you in the current season you find yourself in. So he uses those two things, circumcision and slavery, to again illustrate that point. Are you single? Are you married? It doesn't matter. The Lord can still use you. God is still calling you to serve him. And so many of us in our singleness feel that way. The Lord can't use me until I get married. And our thoughts and our our time is so overwhelmingly devoted to finding a spouse. And again, you want to be married? That's great. But do not think that because you are single... God is not calling you, and God does not desire to use you. Singleness is a gift, and singleness is a calling. Now, here's the second question I want to answer in our remaining time. What are wise boundaries for me to adhere to when looking for a boyfriend, a girlfriend, when looking for a spouse? What are wise boundaries for me to adhere to when looking for a spouse? Number one, this is so important, guys. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is so important. Be more earnest in seeking the Lord than in finding a spouse. Be more earnest in seeking the Lord than in finding a spouse. Another single person in the Bible, 
Jesus. Now, so many of us, we think, I want to be more like Jesus. Lord, yes, I want to be more like you. In all ways, Jesus, conform me to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Hey, Jesus was single. Accept that, Lord. Accept that way. But every other way, Lord, I am yours. Make me more into your image. Okay, Jesus was single. You want to be more like Christ? Stay in your singleness, perhaps. Now, listen, Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Everybody say seek. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, notice the priority there. Seek first the what? The kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, seek the Lord and seek how you can walk rightly before the Lord. Be more desperate for God's presence than you are for a partner. Be more desperate for the Lord. Be more earnest in seeking the Lord than you are in seeking a spouse. So many times we have this inverted. Lord, I want to find a spouse. I'm going to seek a spouse. I'm, all I think about is finding a spouse, finding a dating relationship. I want to be in relationship. And then we neglect to seek the Lord. And the Lord would say to us, if only you would get that reverse and you would seek me and you would seek obedience and you would seek living rightly before me. You would seek the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, seeking purity before the Lord, living rightly before the Lord. The Lord would then say, I'm going to take care of the relationships. This is what Jesus says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, when you seek the Lord, when you prioritize to seek the Lord, be desperate for the Lord in prayer and in your devotion, quiet life, reading his word, when you make your priority to seek the Lord, the Lord is gonna take care of the relationships. And let me also encourage you, when you are more focused on pleasing the Lord and you are distracted, if I could use that word, you are more distracted with the things of the Lord, the Lord is going to work behind the scenes regarding your relationships that you will just find so much more freedom. You won't have to worry all the anxious thoughts about, I'm never going to be married. There's not that person out there for me. I'm never going to find them. Listen, if you would just be more concerned about the things of the Lord than in finding a spouse, you would find that there is so much more freedom. The pressure is off, a weight off of your shoulders. Why? Because the Lord can take care of your future spouse better than you can. So do you trust the Lord with your future spouse if the Lord is calling you to marriage? I had to come to a place where I just said, Lord, I'm going to trust you with my future spouse. And I'm going to press into you. I'm going to be desperate for you. I'm going to seek you and your presence. You'll take care of the relationships. So seek the vertical, your relationship with the Lord. He will take care of the horizontal. Just remember that. And you don't have to be desperate. Because listen, when you are desperate for finding a spouse, everybody can tell. And it is so awkward. It is super awkward. You're always talking about it. You're always talking about it, that date. It, it, didn't, it, it didn't happen. They didn't text me back. They didn't text me back. You start to panic. And everyone can feel and sense your desperation. And nobody wants to be around you. Okay? So just focus on the Lord. Don't be desperate in finding a spouse. The Lord's going to take care of it. So just trust Him. 
and uh, the Lord will take care of it. But you have to trust Him and be more focused on pleasing the things of the Lord. But our desperation sometimes drives us to make foolish, unwise decisions. I'm so desperate to find a boyfriend or girlfriend. You know what happens? We compromise. Don't allow your desperation to drive you to make foolish, unwise decisions. Be desperate for more of Jesus. Watch Him take care of your desires. Number two, I'm going to move through this fairly quickly. Find your security, worth, and value in the Lord, not in another person. Now, this is, you have to understand this. Find your security, your worth, your value in the Lord, not in another person. I heard this example, um, this kind of uh, an illustration in it. I thought it was just put so well, so I share it with you. Um, Think about the difference between a bank versus the dry cleaners. Does the bank or the dry cleaners have more boundaries, more protection, uh, more guard? The bank. Why? Because you understand that there is far more tremendous worth and value inside of the bank than the dry cleaners, right? Everybody understands this. The dry cleaners on a good day has, you know, half amount of clean clothes. The, the bank has tremendous value, tremendous worth. Therefore, we understand that there are more parameters in the bank, more protection, more guard, more boundaries in the bank. In the bank. Why? Because we see there's tremendous value inside the bank. And you have to understand this about yourselves, that because you were created and designed by God, you have tremendous worth and value. And therefore, you should put in place stricter parameters and boundaries when it comes to your life, when it comes to your sexuality. Why? Because you are worth very much to the Lord. God created you. You have tremendous value. And what's super interesting is that the people who struggle with boundaries the most have less of a, self, uh, of a sense of self-worth. The people who struggle with physical boundaries, sexual boundaries the most, have a tougher time understanding their own self-worth and value. But when you understand that you were created in the image of God, that you were bought at a price, as a Christian, you were bought at a price, the Bible says, that God purchased you with the blood of Jesus, therefore you have tremendous worth and value to your Heavenly Father. That should drive us to take more care, better care of our lives as individuals, sexually, physically, in our singleness and in our dating relationships. Why? Because you have tremendous value, you have tremendous worth. And therefore, just as a bank has proper boundaries and protection and guards in their facilities, you are a facility, a house, a body of tremendous value and worth. Don't belittle the boundaries. And so... You need to understand that you have worth and value in the Lord. Your worth and value doesn't come from another person. Your security is found in the Lord. It's not found in another another person. And many of us are insecure. And you need to go to the Lord with your insecurities. Because here's what happens. You're insecure about your appearance, how you look, how socially aware you are, 
You are insecure about those things. And therefore, when you're mingling with other people, you come across someone who affirms you. Oh, you're so beautiful. You're so pretty. You fall more in love with their affirmation than you do that person. Why? Because they are feeding you what you are missing. You are insecure in so many other areas. Your appearance, how you look, how you're perceived by other people. And when other people affirm you in your beauty and in your appearance, you fall for their cheap talk. And a lot of times behind that cheap talk is a cheap character. And they're not really for you. They just want to hook up. They just want to connect. They just want to get with you. But until you find your security in the Lord, listen, when you find your security in the Lord, it's a game changer. Why? Because you're already loved by the Lord. You're affirmed in your relationship with Christ. Your security is found in the Lord. And therefore, when you mingle with other people, yes, hearing the compliments is a wonderful thing. That's not a bad thing. I compliment my wife. She compliments me. That's a beautiful thing. We did that in our dating relationship as well. But you will use then more discernment When people compliment you, why? Because your security is in the Lord. It's not in them to begin with. And so you won't fall for the cheap talk. Oh, that's really nice. Thank you for the compliment. But you know in your heart, your security is in the Lord. You're affirmed and loved by the Lord. You don't need to find it in another person. And so many people make unwise decisions when pursuing a spouse Because they fall for the cheap talk. Why? Because it satiates their insecurities. And then you are tied to that person sexually and in marriage. And then behind that cheap talk was cheap character. And now you're in that covenant before the Lord. But my marriage was all cheap talk to begin with. So you need to, before you pursue dating, you need to be content and secure in the Lord All of your worth, listen, I'm just speaking to the ladies just for the moment. All of your worth and your value is found in the Lord. You do not need another man to bring you value and worth. Your value, your worth, your security is found in Christ. Now, God can bring along a partner to compliment and to support, and it's a wonderful thing. But in my marriage, I don't complete Morgan. She's complete in Christ. And vice versa. I'm complete in Christ. And you need to understand this. You're completely worthful, if that's a word. Worthful. You are completely valuable in the eyes of the Lord. And your security is in Him. So find it first in the Lord before you seek to find it in another person. Um, number three, do your searching in healthy environments. Okay, you want to search for a spouse? You want to you wanna date? That's, that's not a bad thing to desire, but do your searching in healthy environments. Listen, I'm going to speak openly with you just for a moment because I love you and I care about you. And so through this, I'm going to sprinkle in some hard truths. Don't do your searching in the bars. Stop it. Stop it. Don't do your searching in the bars. Search for your spouse in the church. Is it a sin? No. Is it wise? No. Don't do your spouse searching at the bar. You want to go for drinks and search for a spouse? Is it a sin? No. Is it wise? Probably not. Listen, this is what Proverbs 12, 26 says. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. 
Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Listen, ask yourself this. Do I have a better chance of finding a godly spouse who will sharpen me, who will encourage me in Christ, who will walk carefully at the bar or at the church? Do I have a better chance of finding a godly spouse going for drinks or going to serve at youth camp? Pastor Austin, I don't, I don't know where to look here. Listen, there are plenty of opportunities here at Young Adults. Join a K group. Get plugged into a Bible study. Serve at our youth camps, which are mostly led by young adults. Listen, I was speaking at our winter youth camp two years ago, and we brought in a guest band from Liberty. And the guest band said, how in the world do you guys have so many young adults serving at your youth camps? Because most of the youth camps we travel to and and we play worship for, most of those youth camps are monitored by the parents. All the parents are the chaperones. All the parents are the cabin counselors. I said, I don't know, the Lord's just doing something awesome in our young adult community. So most of our youth camps are run by young adults. You want to find a spouse? We have youth camps coming up in just a few months. Serve at our youth camps. There are plenty of opportunities. (laughs) It's very tense in the room. The, The Holy Spirit's like, putting a guard on my mouth right now. So many other things I'd like to say, but I will, I will continue. Now, Austin, what about searching online? Is that considered a healthy environment? Online dating, that's kind of the norm um, in our environment now because of technology, obviously. So you can't find someone in person, so you go online. Is that how, is that, does that fall under the category of a healthy environment? Now, maybe... Maybe not. You have to use discernment. In your search for a spouse, you need to ask God for the gift of discernment. There will be no better spiritual gift in your search. And all I will say to the online dating is you will have to use an extra measure of discernment online. Why? Because as you guys know, you're a smart bunch. Not everything online is as it seems. Now, can you find a godly spouse online? Absolutely. I know people who have connected with a person through online dating and they were matched online, their profiles matched and they were both believers and they got married and that's a wonderful thing. So is it possible to find a spouse online? Absolutely. I'm not knocking it. Do you have to use an extra measure of discernment? Absolutely. And if you ask the people who found their spouse through online dating or through apps, they would agree with me that yes, that experience, through that experience, I had to use an extra measure of discernment, an extra measure of caution. Why? Because simply not everything you get online is reality. So online dating, ask the Lord for discernment. Not everything online is as it seems, but can you? That's up to you and the Lord. But do your searching in healthy environments. Listen, if you go to all of those environments, you know, And it's not the church. And let's just say you're at the bar. Listen, okay, again, is it wrong? Is it a sin? Not necessarily. Is it wise? Personally speaking, biblically speaking, I don't think it's wise. You want to be attached to and tied to someone 
that knows and loves the Lord, and I'm not saying that if you drink, you don't know and love the Lord. That's not what the Bible says. I want you to hear my heart on this. But when you search, do it in a place where you are more confident you're going to walk away with someone who knows and loves and serves Jesus. Now, I, I, you can, you know, maybe we can kind of coin this phrase at young adults, serve and observe. Serve and observe, baby. Okay, because when you are here at church and you are just naturally, not because you solely want to find a spouse, but you just, out of an abundance of your love for Jesus, you just want to serve here at Cornerstone, you will have opportunities to observe the opposite sex. So you go to a summer camp and you serve. You get an opportunity to observe. When you serve in our children's ministry and other young adult male or female is serving in the children's ministry, which we have many young adults serving in our children's ministry, you all have an opportunity to serve with them and observe. And you learn so much more about the opposite sex when you serve with them. Why? Because they're interacting with people. You see how they care for people. You see they're passionate for the Lord. So when you just naturally serve as a part of the body of Christ, you get to then naturally observe. Now, don't be creepy. Don't be serving with them at youth camp and just be creeping on them, serving in this children's ministry, just being creepy with that person. But when you serve, you get to observe. How are they around people? How are they with kids? So go to those environments where you have those opportunities to observe them, serving the Lord. It's wise to do so. Number four, final point, be patient And don't compromise. Be patient and don't compromise. If I could leave you with this, for those of you who are single and um, you're worried and you're growing impatient, can I just encourage you and remind you again, just be patient. Be patient and don't compromise. Often our lack of patience drives us to make unwise decisions in the searching process and we compromise. Because many of us are are eager to be married. And again, marriage is a wonderful thing to desire. But many of us are in a rush to get out of singleness and to be in marriage. But often we are so eager and in such a rush to be out of a season of singleness, maybe for multiple reasons. Maybe you're embarrassed. You're single and you're embarrassed. Maybe God has given you a desire to be married and so you're excited to begin that adventure. But what can tend to happen is, either out of embarrassment or out of excitement, your eagerness to have that relationship sometimes means you'll just take about anybody. I don't care if they love the Lord. I don't care, you know, they, they profess to be a Christian, but I don't know. They don't really co- like to come to church very often. They're not very involved. And so you just begin to compromise because you're in such a rush and you're growing impatient that you just begin to compromise on your standards of who a who truly a a godly person is. So you just compromise. He's not a believer. That's okay. I'll make him one. Just just, just give me somebody. She's not a believer, but she's super hot. So I'm going to save her. You know, the Lord, through this process, the Lord's going to bring her to the Lord and so she she can be both hot and holy. Because hot's important too, but holy is important as well. So hot and holy is the best of both worlds. But first, she's just hot. I don't know how holy she is. So I'll, I'll ride with the hot and hopefully she's holy, you know, underneath. Don't do that. Don't let your eagerness drive you to make impatient, rash, foolish decisions. Be patient. Don't compromise. And what happens is we forsake contentment in Christ for short-term gratification. 
Be content in the Lord. We sell ourselves short because our desire to be in a relationship has outweighed our willingness to be content in the Lord and to wait on Him. And maybe for many of us right now, I'll close on this. Maybe for many of us, you feel like you're just kind of in a holding pattern right now. You're single and you're just in that season of waiting. My wife and I, we were on a, on a flight um, not too long ago. Again, I told you just two weeks ago, we went to California. And so we were on a flight to California. And it reminded me of this illustration that, and, and for many of you, you've been on an airplane and you've taken flights to different parts of the country or maybe outside of the country. A lot of the time, not a lot of the time, but some of the time, the pilot will come over the intercom and he'll, he'll say, listen, we're in a holding pattern. Whether, uh, it might be because the weather, weather conditions uh, are not safe for landing or whatever it might be, but the pilot will say, listen, it's not safe for landing just yet. We have to wait. We're in a holding pattern. And holding patterns are very frustrating. And it can feel like in your singleness, you're just in a holding pattern. You just want to land the plane into marriage, but you're currently just in this holding pattern and it can cause you to be impatient. And I remember not too long ago, the pilot came over the intercom on one of my flights and said, listen, uh, we're, we're currently in a holding pattern. Just be patient. We will land eventually. But I had no idea how long I was going to be in that holding pattern. And so rather than just sit and just wait and not do anything and complain about the holding pattern and ask the stewardess, how long is this going to take? Just decided, all right, I'm going to take back out my Bible, going to read, I'm going to get some stuff done, I'm going to get some work done, and I'm going to work in the midst of my waiting. And you know what happens when we choose to get busy in our period of waiting is we forget that we're even waiting. And we are so distracted by what God has in front of us that we forget how long we've still been in that holding pattern up in the air. And then eventually the pilot gets back on. He says, okay, it's safe for landing. And he brings us down. But that waiting period seems a whole lot longer when you just twiddle your thumbs and you just wait and you just don't do anything. I'm not going to do any, you know, I'm sure we'll get there eventually. So I'm not going to bring out a book. I'm not going to get any work done. And so you just wait and wait. But that waiting season seems a whole lot longer when you just sit and do nothing. But when you resolve in your heart, on that airplane, I'm going to get some stuff done. I'm going to read my Bible. And you get your mind off of the waiting and you put it on something else that keeps your attention. The waiting seems a whole lot less longer. And you don't even realize that you were up there for that long. Now listen, in our singleness, what am I saying? If you are single and you're in a holding pattern, get busy with the work of the Lord. Do not feel like you have to get married or date somebody to finally feel fulfilled and accomplished. The Lord has so much for you right now in your singleness. And when you are busy with the things of the Lord and you take your eyes off of your waiting and your singleness, but your eyes are just fixed on what the Lord has put in front of you, serving him, pleasing the Lord, and you're distracted again with the things of the Lord, You'll begin just to, the the waiting and the worry about your singleness, it will just dissipate in the presence of the Lord. Can I just encourage you with that? Wait on the Lord. Don't compromise. And I know, and you know, we're having some fun in this series and in the next few Bible studies we'll have, we'll continue to have fun, but I don't want anyone to feel belittled 
in these conversations. I want you to be encouraged and filled with the Holy Spirit and go outside of this building feeling just like a weight is off my shoulders. I don't have to worry anymore. Some of you have been worrying about your singleness for a long time. Can I encourage you tonight? Give your worry over to the Lord. Let the Lord take care of that for you. And you just serve the Lord. And you you look at your singleness as a gift and a calling in the meantime. And I don't know if or when the Lord will bring you a spouse. That's up to the Lord. But again, seek first Him and His kingdom and His righteousness, and the Lord will take care of the rest. Let's pray. Let's go to the Lord. Let's just pray. And if, if that's you, if you're single and, and you have just a lot of anxious thoughts about the future, right now, just take a moment just to give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, you hold my future in your hands. I will no longer worry. Take care of my worry, Lord. I will wait on you. I want to be busy serving you, Lord, in the meantime. Just whisper that to the Lord. Allow the Lord to take care of you. Trust Him. say, Lord, you know the desire of my heart. You know that I desire to be married. But I trust you with that desire. And I choose to no longer worry or be anxious over it. I give it to you. Commit it to him tonight. Commit your singleness to him tonight. And say, Lord, in this season of singleness, use me however you choose to use me. However you deem appropriate, Lord, use me for your glory in my season of singleness. Say, Lord, help me not to compromise. Help me not to grow impatient. Help me to seek first you and your kingdom and your righteousness. I trust you to take care of the rest. Just speak to him and commit your singleness to him. Lord, we trust you. I pray that for every individual who is single, who has the desire to be married in this room, that you would bring the right spouse to them in the right timing, Lord. Thank you that you are a good father, that you care about us as your kids, and you desire to bless us with good things. And for many of us who are single, you're calling us to marriage, Lord, but we trust you with that. And in the meantime, use us for your purposes, Lord, for your glory. Strengthen us. Use us, Lord. Here we are. Use us for your glory, Lord. And I trust you with the right person and the right timing. I look to you. Help me to seek you and to be more earnest in seeking you than I am in finding a spouse. God, we love you. We commit, for those of us who are single in this room, we commit our singleness to you. 
We give it over to you, God. Be glorified in our lives and fill us full and fresh with your Holy Spirit, Lord. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody tonight said, amen and amen. I love you guys. Listen, um, I want to say one more thing. Like in your earnest, this is kind of a part of the Bible study. In, in your earnestness in seeking the Lord, so you're single. Be earnest in seeking the Lord more than you are desperate in, fi- in finding a spouse. That doesn't stop when you're married. For all of us who are married in this room, that doesn't stop. Just because you're married, it doesn't stop. Like, okay, great, I found the spouse so I can stop seeking the Lord. Be more earnest in seeking the Lord, married couples, than you are in pleasing your spouse. Because when you seek the Lord, when you're earnest about pleasing the Lord, and when you're desperate for pleasing the Lord, you will then, thus by, by nature that, you will please your spouse and you will have a godly marriage. So I leave you with that. I love you guys. We'll pick this back up next Monday night. We'll see what the Lord has for us. In the meantime, please go out, visit Kyla and Jordan and Sarah at their table. Get involved in the pro-life movement. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. God bless you guys.